This morning, um, we're going to be talking about the gospel. And some of you know that I, I was raised in a family uh, where my dad is a foreigner. Uh, and my sister and I, we, we were in many situations where we, uh, they were all speaking German. And uh, we didn't know German, and so we'd sit there and we'd kind of doze in and out of conversation. And then sometimes people would laugh and I'd say, well, what'd they say? What, you know, what would they say? And often you'd hear this phrase, it doesn't translate well. It doesn't translate well. And what that means is it's not as funny uh, in English as it is in German or vice versa. And it gets confusing. This morning, as we talk about the gospel, uh, that question should come up in us is, if Jesus is the answer for us today, right here in Tehachapi, um, what does that mean for people in China? What does that mean for people in Africa? Um, does We saw Papua New Guinea, and uh, I thought that was so funny and cute, those, uh, those people. Are we having fun? And they're, yes, we're having fun. Uh, you know, what are we supposed to say? What's the right answer again? But we struggle uh, culturally, and our cultures couldn't be more different than Papua New Guinea, where Beth is working. Um, does that translate? Is this the same message that needs to go out? And so this morning, that's what we're going to handle as we look into God's Word. Um, does it translate well? Turn over to Galatians chapter 1, and I want to share with you that, uh, excuse me, Um, as we look at Galatians chapter 1, I want you to know that there are different gospels uh, this morning as uh, as we come to God's word. There are different messages that will be out there. The word gospel uh, it's kind of taken from the Old Testament where in Isaiah it says it will preach good news. And that good news is picked up in the New Testament as the message of Jesus. And I want to tell you there are different gospels, but maybe there aren't different gospels. And we'll, we'll look at Galatians chapter 1 here briefly, uh, starting at verse 6. It says this. Paul writes this to the Galatian church and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, different gospel. Uh, Verse seven, not not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Skip down to verse 11 with me. Uh, for, for I would have, have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's just pray real briefly. God, this morning, as we um, look to your word, I pray that your spirit would guide us in the truth, that you would open our hearts and reveal what is there. Um, God, I thank you for all that you're doing, and we ask that you work in our midst now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to start out talking about some different Gospels. And to be honest with you, uh, what, what needs to happen now is for us to have honesty in our heart and that for God to work in us in such a way that we'd be able to see clearly what's going on in our heart. Some of us this morning have believed in a different gospel. We've believed in a different gospel. Not the gospel that saves, not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but some kind of warping to the gospel that saves. And this morning I want to talk about those and then talk about the elements of the true gospel um, as found in his word. First of all, uh, one of the gospels that we might, and I'm not concerned about um, anybody but us this morning. I realize that uh, there are movements out in our nation and even in our world, but I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about us and what we believe. The first gospel, false gospel that uh, you may have heard of before is that of the health wealth gospel. And what that says is this, that um, it tells us that when people come to Jesus, you will improve financially, you will improve in your health. Uh, That's a problem, isn't it? It's a good message, isn't it? Doesn't it sound good? I'm in, you know. Uh, If all I need to do is to believe in Jesus, all financial problems go by the wayside and my health concerns too will go by the wayside. Isn't that a good message? Some of you aren't getting it, are you? You must be rich and healthy right now. You've already believed in it, right? Uh, It it seems like a great message. The, The one problem is it's not true. It's not true. And the reason I I know that it's not true is as I look in Scripture, but I I look in Scripture and I see that it's not true, but I also see it in life right now. If we tell people to come to Jesus and they will improve financially and in their health, in fact, some people believe that as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you will get more wealth as a sign of favor from Him. That God really loves you because He's blessed you financially. That you're rich and you know that God loves you because you're rich. Or you're healthy right now and your health is a sign that God likes you and loves you more than the person who is sick. They say things like God doesn't want you to be sick. It's not part of His plan. And if you trust Him... He'll take away your financial struggles and your health concerns. There's a problem with that. Well, the problem is that God's people die of sickness. People that God loves. Even the ones that were healed in the New Testament. You know what happened to them? They died. As part of God's plan. God's people are poor. Not you. For the most part, none of us are poor here this morning. There are people throughout the world that love the Lord. They love Him dearly. They're poor. They, they, they sometimes struggle for food to eat. And they love Him. They, they love Him. They have a great relationship with Him. Some people who love God get fired from their jobs. They struggle to find employment. They have heartaches. And at times they're put into jail unjustly. This is what happens. 
And so for us to share the health, wealth gospel or to believe in it will set us up for failure and dismay in the, in the end. There's also another one. Some have called it the social gospel. And what it says is that you give people certain things and once they have these things, they will be okay. You give people a house. You give people drinking water. You give them food and health care. And all will be well. The problem with this message is not that we shouldn't give to those who are in need. It's not that we shouldn't be generous. And when we see people and, and see people with needs that we can meet, that we should not be the ones. But what it says is, is basically and fundamentally wrong that that's all they need. That once they get those things, all will be well. The United States of America proves the social gospel wrong. We have all those things and all is not well. There's still a deadness in our soul that cannot be quenched by water, by food, by a home, by health care. It leaves us wanting. There are other gospels. Uh, one, I just titled it the Do Good Gospel. that says this, just be good. Just be good. That's all you have to do. And here's your list of things that you need to do to be good. Go to church. Read your Bible. Pray a lot. Go to Bible study a lot. Be a youth group a lot. Go to women's ministry and give money. Be involved in Awana. Support missionaries. If you do enough, God will love you and will bless you. If you do enough. See, this gospel maybe hits a little closer to home, doesn't it? And there's a sense in which all these gospels, maybe there's a part of our heart that believes in them. I can be good enough. I can do good things and somehow God will be pleased with me. Well, it's the message of the book of Galatians. That's a different gospel. We don't do enough to come to know him and we don't do enough after salvation that we would keep him close to us. You see, if we do enough um, for the love of God and His blessing, we miss the point of the true gospel totally. We can never be good enough for God. In fact, our best tries are, are, are far short of the, the holiness and righteousness of God. There's another gospel. It's the you can be the best gospel. You can be the best. Uh, superiority in life is found in Jesus. All the best is found in Him, so you need Him to be the best. You're living a great life now, but to be the best, you need Jesus. You can be a better man. You can be a better engineer, a better athlete, more successful at everything. God does not promise us... Uh, this is very important for us to remember. God does not promise us superiority and success. He doesn't promise us that. In fact, in fact, this is, this is a problem for us. What happens when we truly come to know Christ is we may not have time to be successful and superior. We, we, might, we might be doing other things. It's a difficult picture. And yet for some of us, we think God is the one who grants me success and he is the one that's going to make me the best. It's a false gospel. There are others. 
Um, I just want to share with you one more. And this kind of it groups into a bunch of different ones. Another Jesus gospel. They take Jesus Christ and they say that he is someone he is not as, de- as defined in the scripture here. They say that he is not God. He is not the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice. False gospels. And this morning as we listen, I want to ask you, are you following a false gospel? You know, why are you here this morning? If it's to be good, uh, sorry, we can't hand out little merit favors with God. If there's a sense where you want that leg up in your career or so that you can somehow be superior, uh, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We can't help you there. If you think that this is going to make you healthy and wealthy and that God is somehow going to be impressed and so it, it unlocks the vault, God's vault and His health and blessings are going to be poured out on you. Sorry, I can't help you. Um, this morning, I, I want to tell you that all other Gospels, other than what is described in the Scripture, should be labeled under the scam alert. It's a scam. Um, so some of us, some of us have been sucked into scams before, right? We bought things that have promised much but delivered little, and initially scams are great, aren't they? You're excited about them. You can't wait to get them in the a mail or, or receive the whatever it is, whether it be a book or whatever, and you're so excited about it. But in the end, you're left empty and mad, aren't you? That's the same thing with the gospel when it claims to be good news. And in the end, it doesn't work. It leaves us empty and mad that we had followed a message that isn't true. So this morning, let's turn to God's word and hear what he has to say, how he describes his own gospel and what it is. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this morning, I I want us to think about it personally and then to think about it as a message that will travel well, that will minister to those people in Papua New Guinea, those people in China, those people in Africa and uh, South America and Europe and other places where we might be a part of reaching and to Atchope, the people that we know right here. In 2 Timothy uh, as we look at chapter 1, we have seven points this morning. We'll bounce around a little. Uh, forgive me for that. I was super, um, as we went through God's Word, there's so much to talk about when you talk about the implications of the gospel. Um, and and granted, this morning, I also want to say this. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this will be painful for you. <laughs> You just go, man, this is a bore. I can't stand it. You know, this is just repulsive to me. Are we done yet? And there's a reason for that. It's like when your neighbor uh, wins the lottery, right? He's got all this money and you're just mad about it, right? Because all the blessings are landing on his house, not on yours, right? And so this morning I realized there might be an agitation to your soul as we look at the gospel um, let that agitation be something that draws you uh, to re- come to the Lord and say, here's my life. I, I want what you have described, the-, the goodness of the gospel. So number one, as we look at Second Peter or Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, 
verses 9 through 11. Let me read it for you. I'm sorry, let's start at verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel, for the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested uh, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life, immortality, to light through the gospel. What's, what's pictured here is two things. First of all, God's grace on you, God's grace on you, as He worked out His plan, His plan. Now, a couple of things. Uh, most of you, uh, I think we have some great planners here. At church here. We have some great planners. You know what you're going to do a month from now on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. You know what's going on. You put it on your calendar. You, you know where you're at. Uh, you, you know what's happening. The problem with that, it, you can plan all you want, but when it comes to the saving of your soul, it's nothing you can do. It's not your plan being worked out. It's God's plan being worked out in you. In you. In fact, uh, as we couple that, you'll, you'll see in this passage as well, in verse 9, that He's the one who saved us. He's the one who, you didn't save yourself. Some of you think you can. You can't save yourself. Can't happen. It won't happen. Um, it says He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. In fact, the things that you have done have excluded you from His family. The things that He has done has brought you in. It's His grace. It's His work. His plan. I need us to get that because as you think about salvation and as you think of it as your plan, your idea, I was smart enough, I was good enough, you've got the wrong gospel. The right gospel goes like this. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know why I was living the way I, I just was chasing after whatever was going on in the world, some ideas from my parents, and some I came up with my, on my own. And I was ending up in a life of a mess of sin. And yet he somehow reached into my world, and by his plan he chose me and called me and saved me, saved me. And this was not because of what I'd done. He, in fact, he set those aside and it was what he, he did in me as part of his plan. His grace and his plan. That's what the gospel is. The second thing I want to point out, we're still in 2 Timothy, is right above it. I realize um, I changed the order, but I think it's important to understand that he's talking about the, the greatness of our, the gospel in us first. But this is uh, what he says, starting in verse 6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Um, what do we do with suffering? What do we do with suffering? 
if if you're about to um, embark on a job and you say, well, what's the job like? And they say, well, it's a super hard job. Uh, it doesn't pay very much, but your body will ache every day. Um, and you're going to hurt and there's long-term effects and you're not going to be paid very much money. What would you say to a job that had that kind of uh, intro? You'd say, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because it's not worth it. We do this all the time, don't we? We do this all the time. We ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Um, You need to drive down to Bakersfield. What are you going to say in your mind? Is it worth it? You know? Is it really worth saving a dollar on your creamer at Costco to drive all the way down to Bakersfield? You know, especially when you're pumping gas that's almost $5 a gallon. You know, it's, you start doing the math, right? We do the math. We do the math in the sense of, uh, will it give me a headache? Will it be something that will ruin my day? Will I be frustrated? And you say, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Well, what are we, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the gospel. And what what does Paul say as he's uh, talking to Timothy and encouraging him? He says, uh, you know, don't be ashamed of me. In fact, participate in the suffering. Participate in the suffering. And you go, that's not a very, you know, hey, come suffer with me. And what I see in this, and you can see it throughout the whole New Testament. If you look for it, you'll see it. It's worth suffering for. It's worth it. To follow Christ is not something, it's not the path of least resistance. In fact, quite the opposite. You can be assured that there will be suffering on that path. But the point is not, hey, come suffer with me. He's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. To follow after Christ is worth it. The gospel is worth suffering for even if you don't get healthy and wealthy along the way. It's worth it. We also looked at this, but if you turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 1, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. We saw this in Second Timothy that the power of God was evident, but also in First Thessalonians chapter four, chapter one, verses four and five says this: For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what happened at the preaching of the gospel? God's power was unleashed in the lives of people. It, it's it's interesting. We're such a um, cerebral culture that we're all, always, you know, looking for something interesting to read or to think about. But I want to tell you, at the preaching of the gospel at the church of Thessalonica, as they gathered and as Paul shared, guess what happened? Paul shared the message of Jesus. He didn't make it up, right? He didn't make it up. God gave it to him. It revealed Christ. And as he understood the gospel, he let it out. And what you know what happened? 
power was unleashed in the gospel. Not because Paul was a great preacher. He probably was. Nothing special though, right? It was God's work. It's God's work. And this is what happens in this message. We don't walk away from the message of Jesus and say, oh, that's very interesting. That you know, was so eloquent. Oh, that's something we should think about. You know, that, that's something interesting. You know, it made me smarter because I heard the gospel. No, God's power was unleash, unleashed in the lives of people. You know, that, that's what happens. As we come into contact with the good news, it is not just a message that will help us a little bit, but it's God's power working in our empty lives. There's, there's God's power in the gospel. Along with that, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. As you think about Colossians chapter 1 and how, how this verse relates, we're going to see here that this power of the gospel doesn't just come into our lives in a certain way to give us power personally and to overcome our uh, being apathetic towards life and to give us life, but rather it changes us as well. We look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 22. This is what it says. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which is now being proclaimed under all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister and then he talks about suffering again. It's everywhere. If you look at um, if you look at this passage, and you ask the question, what does this tell us about the gospel? Well, it talks about the hope of the gospel, but it, it also talks about that he reconciled. He he made right that which wasn't right. Well, what did he make right that wasn't right? You and I. You and I. And what does it say that he made us in there? Look down at it. It's, it's super important and it's hard for us to imagine. He took you and your life. And what did he do in his flesh? He reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And what did he do? He did this to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. I want you to think of yourself right now, the things that you have done, the sins that you have committed, and then picture yourself standing as you are before a holy and blameless God who knows every single thing you've done. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's hard for me to imagine what I would feel like in that scenario, how uncomfortable I would feel. How terrified I would feel that that he knew who I was and what I had done. But do you get this picture? That he took our filthy lives. He took our filthy lives. And through 
the, de- the death and in his body of Jesus, what did he do? He reconciled doing what? Making us holy and blameless above reproach before him. He fixed everything. And what Jesus did on the cross. Um, so yesterday I, I got, I was just there for a few minutes and I got to see the, the youth conference and I was in the back and I was watching the kids sing and um, just blessed and just felt like so neat to see them. But there was a heaviness in my heart too because I was thinking about, you know, I don't know all, all the kids that were there, but, I, you know, I think, you know what? Some of these kids have already trashed their lives. They've already trashed their lives. And some of them are, you know, looking for the road to trash my life. This morning, as I, I stand amongst you all, so you feel that way too. Trash my life, the things that I've done, the things that I've seen, the places I've put myself in. My life's a mess. Think about the gospel. Think about the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. Why? To reconcile, to make right, so that you could be holy and blameless. Do you see that? You see, the gospel, what it means is this. We may have trashed our lives. We may have trashed our lives. But because of Jesus, because of what what he has done, our life is not trash. You, You know what that means, right? When you see people and you see the way they act and what they've done and the habits and sins that they've involved themselves in and you just go, oh, there's nothing left. They're not worth it. There's no hope. There's no hope. I want to tell you as you read the scripture and as you understand the gospel, we may have trashed our lives, but because of Jesus, we are not trash. Not a bit. In fact, he can take our trashed life because of what Jesus did. He, he makes it holy and blameless above reproach. Hard to imagine, isn't it? That's a great gospel. That's good news. The gospel uh, has transforming and cleansing power in our lives. And number four. Number five. Um, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. One of the things that's hard to understand for us here today is most of the New Testament is in context with God's people, the Jews. And so uh, the Jews are God's people and there's this other group either called the Gentiles, non-Jews, or Greeks. You know, people outside of God's people, okay? And you look at the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 1, it talks about this amazing adoption that happens as God does His work in our lives and we become part of His family. And in verse chapter 3, verse 6, this is what it says. This mystery is... That the Gentiles, those who are not non-Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That may not seem like a uh, very important verse, but think about it. God has relationship, obviously, with His own, with His children. A, a father has relationship with his children, but even his children, the Jews, some of them were far off. They were, they were not believers in Christ to be the Messiah, the one that was to come. But some did come. And really, much of the New Testament is directed to them. And most of us here this morning are non-Jews, and we're going, well, where does that leave us? Real simple. Look at this verse. What it says is this, that you Gentiles, having trusted in Christ, it's, a, uh, it's hard for us to understand. They describe it as a mystery. What is the mystery? Is this, that you are brought into the family of God. Not just brought into the household in, a, in the sense of a guest that could share in a meal for a temporary time, but being an outsider. But no, you're brought into the family. You're brought into the household. You're adopted in, as chapter 1 would talk about. And the beauty of that is, is beauty in and of itself. But, but did you get that it's even more than that? But wait, there's more. It says that you're not just brought into the family, but you're an heir. You're an heir. There's not a sense of a second-class child even to the Jews, but you're brought in as an heir. And so you look at this and you say, this is hard to understand. That the gospel is this. That that God in His love and working out of His plan in our lives, you know what happens? He brings you into the family. And if that wasn't wild enough as is, it's some of us don't get that. Um, we were lost in our pride and selfishness, and we say, "Why wouldn't everybody want me in their family?" God, you know, of course God would love me. What's not to love? There's plenty not to love. Ask your spouse, right? They can point out the faults in you. If they don't, they're being gracious and kind. Okay? But, but, but when you see yourself as you are, you realize there's not much there. God says, I see that and I bring you into my family. Not just bring you into my family, but you're an heir of all, all the riches that are found in Christ are yours. What he does is this. In the gospel that God brings us into a family relationship with himself and with, with others. You know, I, I think most of you think about this pretty often, how weird the church is. Uh, how, you know, you look around and you go, what would bring a group like this together like this? You know, uh, it, what would gather us together that we might live together? And it's real simple. It's Jesus. He brings us together to live with one another. You say, well, some of the people are ornery at church. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, some of you are hard to live with and we, we need to work things out. But there's a beauty in it, right? We're not working it out with one another, Right? We're connected through what Christ has done and that gives us a commonality. It dwarfs our petty problems. It dwarfs our uh, selfish desires. It shoves them to the side so that we can be gathered, brought unity in His name.
He brings us into this family relationship with himself and with others. Number six, turn over to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, um, verse 27. I'll, I'll read through 29. Only let, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you are absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign for them of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. If you look at this, you see this uh, interesting thing that what, what happens uh, before we come to know Christ, how do we live? What, what's life like? Well, um, a little bit chaotic, you know. How do you make decisions? Well, you make decisions based on what everybody else is doing or what my family does, my the previous generations, or you just do whatever you want. Just, just do whatever you want. And that's how you make decisions. And that doesn't work out so well, right? That doesn't work out so well because we're, there's still an emptiness there, right? There's, there's a sense of you're still lost in your sins and you don't know. So you come to know Christ. What does the gospel do in your life? Well, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it gives us a different purpose. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Prior to that, how do we live? Well, we live based on what we want to do. We live based on our own reputation. And now we our purpose changes that we're not just living to please ourselves, that the manner of life that we live reflects back on the gospel, reflects back on Jesus. And so now we have a different purpose. Our purpose is now to please Him. I want to be clear with you. A lot of times we like lists of things to do that we can be right, right? Throw those lists away. Throw them away. Throw them away. And just think, is what I'm doing, it, does, it, does it match with the greatness of the gospel? What I want to do, what I feel like doing, the way I'm living, does it match the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done. If it doesn't, it's not in line in keeping with what he has done for you. Before we move on, I just have one point, but it uh, says it here, and I'll, we'll pick it up again in chapter 4. But um, it says this, that he may hear of you, hear of this church, that they are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Side by side. Listen to that. Chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. He's going to say it again, uh, this picture of side by side. Paul's writing and he says, I, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Middle of verse 2. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
the picture here is beautiful. In the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, He has not just saved us into His family and given us this great position of an heir, but you know what He's also done? He's called us to work and to slave side by side. What a picture. What a picture that we would be working, slaving side by side. And I use that word slave and you go, I don't really want to be a slave. Hey, it's great to be a slave. It's great. As long as you have the best master. As long as you have the master that's worthy to be. See, so what it pictures is us working together. And you say, well, I don't work. You know, I work. I'm one of those kids who plays alone better. You know, I, I don't, you know, I'm the only child type. I'm a little, you know, I do my own thing. That's not what he's called you to in the gospel, Right? And you say, well, how will we do that? Because i got some ideas. It's real simple how we'll do that. We won't use your ideas. It won't, you, know, you, you, can, you can leave those at home. We're going to use my ideas. And you go, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not going to use your ideas either. What? You're not going to use mine? You're not gonna, whose ideas are we going to use? The one who called us. The one who brought us together. The one who gave us the gospel. You see, he's the one that's going to direct us. He brings us into partnership with himself. And in the gospel, he gives us a job. We become part of a willing partnership. A willing partnership of working side by side, honoring the Lord. This is the message. I have one last verse I want to share with you. Romans chapter 1. And this all kind of comes together in this verse in Romans chapter 1. So um, so it's good news. It's supposed to be good news, right? This is what we're doing. It's good news. The message of Jesus is good news. And because it's good news and, and all the implications are laid out before us, this can be said of you and this can be said of me, as Paul shared with it to the Roman church in verse 16. He says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, you don't have to be ashamed when you have the right answer. When you have good news for someone, whether they believe it or not, you don't have to be ashamed. I got good news for you. You don't have to shrink back. If we're talking about here in Tehachapi or if we're talking about some other place far away that God might send you, whether we talk about Papua New Guinea or China, rest of Asia, Middle East, Europe, we don't, we don't have to be ashamed. Why? Because it's good news. It's good news for all people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. I ask that you would work in our hearts now. I pray that if there are any here uh, who have not uh, given in to the good news of Jesus, Lord, I pray that that would happen today. They would see their emptiness and know they need Jesus. God, thank you for allowing us the message, for us going through these scriptures that describe the implications of the gospel. And God, we ask that you would just continue to thrill us with that message. Help us to be protected from error. Um, that we might be focused on that which truly saves and then be willing to share it and to be about sharing it throughout the world. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.